Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Hello, America. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here across the nation. Glad to have you with me. The phone number, if you want to be on my show, 877-973-7425. You can always text the word Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. And follow me along on social media. Look, this is one of those days i got to exercise real news editorial control. First, there's breaking news. Uh, and that is that uh, there's been a ground stop for Southwest Airlines. Uh, they have resumed now, but there was a global pause on Southwest flights due to technical problems. Uh, they have resumed the flights. Uh, 36% of their schedule was delayed. Uh, this is not like the meltdown from last year, but it was pretty significant. It had an impact out of the gate on their stock this morning. Uh, down now 1.5% on the stock market. It had been down further. They've recovered some. The planes are taking off again, uh, though there may be some delays throughout the United States if you're on Southwest. That's big story number one. Big story number two is the debt ceiling fight. Kevin McCarthy yesterday spoke uh, to Wall Street. He did so because that's where Ronald Reagan went in the 1980s to begin his conversations with the nation on the amount of debt the nation had. Uh, And so McCarthy wanted to go there for symbolism. He also wanted to do one thing very particular, and it's this soundbite. Unfortunately, I have not heard from the White House since our very first meeting. President Biden has been missing in action and misleading the public. Mr. President, with all due respect, enough is enough. This is not how the leader of the free world should act. Your partisan political games are provoking the very crisis you claim to avoid. That is Kevin McCarthy wanting to make it very clear to Wall Street. He has not spoken to Joe Biden about Kevin McCarthy's plans for the debt ceiling or Joe Biden's plans for the debt ceiling. There have been no communications at all. That's why he went to Wall Street. He wants it on the record there that he's been willing. The White House has refused to respond. The White House, however, says the reason it hasn't responded is because its opening position is it wants a clean debt ceiling increase. That means the White House wants a debt ceiling increase, no strings attached, and Kevin McCarthy wants... Uh, strings attached. And so they're waiting to see what his strings are. Here's a little more McCarthy. And the problem is getting worse, not better. We are now $31 trillion in debt. That's more the entire economy of America, 20% more. Think for a moment. That is unsustainable. I'm here to tell you I want a responsible, sensible debt ceiling. It puts us on an economic path to make America stronger. It works for every American. But that cannot happen if the president continues to ignore the problem. And he can't continue any longer. The day is coming. I do not want to see this president bumble in to a default. I want to sit down and solve the problem together. Now, over at MSNBC, of course, the Democratic line taken by Jonathan Lemire of the New York Times is that this isn't a serious proposal. Once during the Obama administration, the Republicans also went to war over this. <clears throat> While Trump was in office, not at all. Yeah. It was done in a bipartisan fashion. It was moved It was moved forward. And it's not just the idea. If 
A deal can't be reached by the summer. We don't know. The deadline is shifting, but it could be as early as July. It's not just the government shutdown. It would be catastrophic to the financial health of the United States. It's, 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 it's credit going forward. The, there'd be a market meltdown. It would have global ramifications. And, and they are, Republicans right now want to play chicken with this. And, and the, the White House, to this point, have said, look, we don't want to just do a one-year thing. Let's make a deal. We've mm -hmm. done it in the past. We should do it again. They want to have these conversations. McCarthy took a step yesterday in that direction, but it's not a serious proposal. White House aides I have talked to have said, and there's no meeting scheduled right now between McCarthy and Biden. So the clock wow. is going to continue to tick, and it's going to have uh, significantly scary implications, potentially for all Americans. The doom and gloom scenario is exactly what the Democrats want you to go to, that this is going to hurt our credit ratings, going to raise interest rates, is going to cause calamity. It's not. This is Joe Kernan on CNBC going to Hakeem Jeffries. Well, President Biden has shown extraordinary leadership. He produced the budget. He produced the budget over a year it, ago. It it's in the public domain. Budget. The American it people was, can evaluate it. Wasn't no, a serious budget. No, no, though. Joe. It's a, no, no, Joe. It's it's a, it's a it's a serious budget that will do several things. One, it will protect and strengthen Social Security and Medicare. The American people care about that issue. That's a serious proposal. It will invest in building an economy that works for everyday Americans from the middle out and the ground up, continue to drive down costs for the American gonna, people, protect Social anywhere. Security. That, that's and, all I meant. It doesn't have a chance and, and, of passing but, the House. That's, that's the thing. And uh, one more, holding Kevin McCarthy accountable as well. And think about it. A debt ceiling is like giving your child a credit card, and they charge the limit all the way up. Would you just raise the limit? No, you would well, sit down. Well, if it down. meant playing with America's standing at fa full faith and credit of U.S. government debt, but if, I feel if like you can deal with the spending in other ways, oh, which really? is totally so, legitimate. So if you just raise the debt ceiling, do you think $31 trillion of debt, the CBO has come out in the next 10 years, do you know we'll pay 10.5? You did it three times we'll in the Trump 10, administration. As we did economic changes. We never raised the debt ceiling by but itself. But the tax cuts, that was like $2 trillion and you know, deficit. And you know how much we're bringing in in revenue? On average, in the 50-year average in America, you bring 17% of GDP. Today, we're bringing 20. That's the only two other times in modern history in America have you ever brought 20% of GDP. That's because the tax cuts actually created economy to grow and brought more revenue into the economy. Listen, here's everything you need to know about the debt ceiling. It's going to be increased. The question is, how much will Republicans get out of it? The debt ceiling has always increased, and frankly, I don't think it should be increased. I think uh, not increasing it would force draconian but necessary cuts in government because the United States guarantees the full faith and credit of the United States in our Constitution. So constitutionally, we have to, which means we are required by the Constitution to pay our debts, which means if you don't raise the debt ceiling, you don't go into default, everything else has to be cut to pay debts, and frankly, I'm at the point where thinking we're at $31 trillion in national debt. We might as well do something. To the point of the anchor on CNBC, she's absolutely right. When Republicans control the White House, Republicans aren't really concerned about the national debt. When Democrats control the White House and Republicans control Congress, Republicans are suddenly very concerned about the national debt. There is one difference, though, to Kevin McCarthy's credit, he pointed out. Republicans, yes, they cut taxes when Trump was president, but what was the benefit of it? Massive economic growth. We were able to grow 
the income of this country such that it did have a measurable impact on the amount of money we could use to pay the national debt and also on the denominator, meaning that we we shrunk the debt in terms of GDP in this country, which was a good thing. Economic growth helps shrink the denominator. You're never going to shrink the numerator. The numerator is $31 trillion. If you just start throwing money at it, uh, in terms of percentage of, of GDP, you're not going to impact it very much. You need to affect the size of debt in relation to the gross national product of the United States. And we were able to do that, or, or gross domestic product. We were able to do that with those tax cuts. The, but it's going to get raised. The belly aching is over what's going to happen. Republicans want cuts. Democrats want no cuts. What the media and Wall Street do not seem to understand here is that House Republicans have zero incentive to go along with a clean debt ceiling. The reason is because if Republicans go along with a clean debt ceiling increase, that's going to give Joe Biden a win. Republicans will be uh, characterized as the ones who caved. Republicans will get nothing for doing it. The Democrats will get all the glory, and so why would Republicans give them that? Now, the Senate Republicans, they have no desire to do anything to help the Republicans in the House. That's just the reality here. The the Senate Democrats, they're not doing anything to help the House Republicans. They, They flat out do not care. Senate Republicans don't see any benefit in fighting the debt ceiling. What the Senate Republican calculation is is that you give them a year and don't put in a bunch of cranks as nominees, the Republicans will take back the Senate, probably take the White House as well, and we can clean things up then. But why sacrifice uh, any sort of gains for the GOP by doing a messy debt ceiling increase in which Republicans bear all the blame? I get the politics of it from the Senate perspective, but that's not real leadership here because the problem is we got to do something as a nation. The debt is out of control. $31 trillion in national debt. I'm not a Kevin McCarthy fan, but good for him sticking to his guns on this. My concern is that Kevin McCarthy ultimately caves. There are House Democrats and House Republicans behind the scenes talking about a package of spending cuts, recognizing House Republicans intend for spending cuts. If there's something Democrats need to know going into this, it's that even the moderate House Republicans agree with the conservatives there must be cuts. They may disagree on the size of cuts. They may disagree on the type of cuts. But all the House Republicans, from the left to the far right, from the far left to the far right, and all points in between, agree there's got to be some cuts. Behind the scenes, the Democrats are meeting privately with Republicans, not Democratic leaders, but moderate House Democrats trying to come up with a plan of spending cuts that would be acceptable to get something done. They've cut the House Freedom Caucus out of this. They believe the House Freedom Caucus wants too much. There are already two Republicans in the House of Representatives who have said they will not vote to raise the debt ceiling at all. There are only four votes total the House GOP could lose if they want to do it on a party-line basis. Therefore, McCarthy has very little wiggle room. But the Democrats have very little wiggle room as well. Ultimately, it becomes a political calculation. Everyone knows the debt ceiling is going to go up.
Everything else is performance. But in the performance, the question will be who's made out to be the hero and who's made out to be the villain. We already know the Republicans are going to be vilified. It doesn't matter what the Republicans do, they're going to be vilified. If the Republicans cave and say, you know what, let's go along with the clean debt ceiling increase, they're going to be vilified by the press. Why did you take so long? Why did you drag it out? Why can't Kevin McCarthy lead? They gave Joe Biden a big win. Joe Biden gets everything. The Republicans get nothing. The Republicans are a bunch of losers. So if they're going to be vilified no matter what, the Republicans don't have an incentive for a clean debt ceiling increase. What the Republicans have is an incentive for paying for the Democrats. The Republicans have incentive to force Joe Biden to cave. And if that means going off the cliff before Republicans decide to raise the debt ceiling, they are perfectly willing to go off the fiscal cliff because they have nothing to lose. Joe Biden has everything to lose. If Joe Biden in the end refuses to go along with Republican cuts and we go off the cliff, the Republicans know the media will say, well, it was the Republicans' fault. But Republicans in return can say, and Joe Biden refused to compromise with us, which took us off the cliff. And that may not sell well on MSNBC, but to the Republican base that the Republicans must hold, it will mean everything that the GOP went to the mats for spending cuts against the Democrats and ultimately forced concessions from Biden, even if we're already falling off the cliff. Republicans, because of the media narrative to be so biased to the Democrats and the progressives, the Republicans have zero incentive for a clean debt ceiling increase. If Democrats do not understand they cannot get a clean debt ceiling increase, that's on them, not the GOP. You know, I, I, it pains me, it does, to say anything nice about Kevin McCarthy. I was just texting with my buddy Joe during the break on. He says, don't, stop, uh, stop making me not hate Kevin McCarthy. He's like, I'm, I'm not going to do that because I don't like the guy. Kevin McCarthy is all about himself, and right now to stay in power, he knows he's got to extract concessions from Biden and come across looking like he can get something in the deal. Uh, the reality, though, and, and the most important point in the debt ceiling fight for you to understand is Republicans have absolutely nothing to lose. They're going to be vilified as the bad guy no matter what. So they might as well own the street cred of being the villain and extract concessions from the Biden administration. The media is complicit in this. I mentioned that last week. The media is absolutely complicit in setting this situation up. Uh, because no matter what happens, they're going to say Joe Biden's the winner. And the only way to stop that from happening, there's only one path forward for the GOP, concessions from Joe Biden. Make Joe Biden cave. What Democrats in the press don't understand is this. If I could tell Democrats and the media just one thing right now to shape discussions on the debt ceiling, it would be that all of the Republicans in the House want concessions from Joe Biden. They may not agree on what concessions, they may not agree on what cuts, but they're not going to give Joe Biden a clean debt ceiling increase from the moderate Republicans to the conservative Republicans. The reason is because they all know they're going to be vilified by the press regardless. If Joe Biden gets a clean debt ceiling increase, it will be that the Republicans caved and Joe Biden's the hero. No Republican in the House wants to help Joe Biden get the favorable headlines that the media will undoubtedly give him. Therefore, 
every single House Republican that I know of, left, right, and center, expects some level of cuts to show that Biden is going to compromise with them. If the Democrats want to navigate this, they need to figure out what cuts they can offer the moderate Republicans to get something through because the conservative Republicans will want more painful cuts than the Democrats want to have. But cut you must. You will not get a clean debt ceiling increase from these House Republicans regardless of their ideological spectrum. You need to understand that. And Democrats, this is on you. The Republicans, all of them, very open. They're demanding cuts. You come up with what you're willing to offer, but you better offer something because you ain't getting a clean debt ceiling increase. That's just the reality. Now, the other reality is I got to tell you about uh, Patriot Mobile. They're a cell phone company. I know. It's a cell phone company advertising on a radio show. But here's what makes them unique. There are a lot of supposed cell phone companies that claim to be with us ideologically. The reality is that they're all owned by major cell phone conglomerates, except Patriot Mobile. They are uniquely their own. They are Christian conservatives, and they actually give money to conservative candidates running for office down to the local school board level battling the wokes and also to the Second Amendment movement, the pro-life movement, and so much more. If you want to partner with them, all you do is take your cell phone service to them. You go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K, or you call them 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation. You get guaranteed great service. Your current cell phone company probably uses the same cell towers right now. And you can take your existing cell phone number to Patriot Mobile. And then when you do, you know that as the business grows its profits, those profits go to the causes you as a Christian conservative care about. It's a fantastic plan to grow the conservative movement. Patriot Mobile, highly competent, great services, great product. PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K or 972-PATRIOT. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Nationwide, you can call the program 877-973-7425. I have to remark for just a moment here on a very important anniversary. One that uh, would go without noting on many a program, but I have to confess, I am and have always been a news junkie. When I was a kid, yeah, this is how much of a nerd I was when I was a kid. I would watch uh, This Week with David Brinkley, and I would watch Meet the Press on Sundays. When I mean, I'm talking 11, 12, 13 years old. I have always been a news junkie. I had a teacher when I was in middle school who insisted uh, that we pay attention to the news. Whether we understood it or not, we had to pay attention to the news, and I developed a love of news. And one of my favorite headlines is actually probably the greatest newspaper headline ever written. And 40 years ago, we got it. It is not a joke. When I was a kid, I thought it was a joke, but it's not. 40 years ago, the New York Post's front page headline, Headless Body in Topless Bar. A lot of people over the years thought that must be a joke headline, but it was true. Uh, Vincent Massetto uh, one of the post managing editors got the credit for it. There were two wire stories that came in on, on the in the back in the day. In fact, we used to go to this this restaurant in Dubai called Pancho Villas. It was a Mexican restaurant, and there was a news wire in the hotel lobby. It was the Astoria Hotel, and it and it would bang out the Associated Press wire feed 
of all the stuff. Well, the the New York Post had a a wire uh, from the the from the police station with what was buzzing, and there were two stories from the police teletype. One was the discovery in Manhattan of a cardboard box containing a head, and the other the discovery in a bar in Queens of a of a body with no head. And the reporter put two and two together that I bet the head in the box goes to the body of the bar. Turns out a Brooklyn man named Charles Dingle shot a bar owner in Queens, Herbert Cummings, to death and held the patrons hostage. When Dingle learned one was a mortician, he ordered her to cut off the head of the victim. Uh, Dingle uh, put it in a cardboard box and then was arrested in an unlicensed cab in Manhattan. He died in prison in 2012. The New York Times headline of the story, buried on page two of the Metropolitan section, was owner of a bar shot to death. Suspect is held. The headline on the front page of the New York Post, which probably put the New York Post reputation uh, on the map at the time, was uh, headless body found a headless body found in topless bar. They even had two reporters confirm that the bar was a topless bar. They they actually had reporters confirm it before they put it in the headline. <laughs> that happened 40 years ago this week, folks. Okay, uh, Kevin, you're going to be up first today on the program. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Eric, how are you, my man? Good, how are you? I'm doing fabulous. Regular listener, and I, I just make... Quick comment, I'm very happy that you ended up in, in Russia's time slot. That was my, my wish, and I'm glad it came true. Thank you. I really appreciate it. So I've been uh, waiting for this topic, the national debt topic, to come up. I've been thinking about it a, a good bit. Um, I'm a, a businessman in, in my background, although I'm retired now. And, you know, the, there, there is an amount of debt in any circumstance, whether it's macroeconomics like we're talking about here or microeconomics like your family budget, your income, how much debt you can carry as an individual. And so I'm just, I have no idea, and maybe there's an economist in your audience that could provide some insight to this, or maybe you can. But so the question is, if if we've got a, I don't know, maybe it's a 23 trillion GDP, is that about right? Uh, we've got 31 trillion now. No, thirty-one trillion in debt, but our our GDP is what, like twenty-three? Oh, 23 um, trillion. You know, yeah, it's something like that. Uh, yeah, we're we're our debt now surpasses our GDP. I'm googling yeah, so it right so, now. So yep, twenty-three point three two trillion dollars. Okay, so say sake of conversation, twenty-three, thirty-one in debt. If thirty-one is too high, and and it, you know, it certainly would seem to be. Well, what is, what is the right number? What is a healthy number for an economy that's generating $23 trillion in income every year or, or GDP? I, I'm curious what that might be. You know, okay, so it's funny you should ask this. Uh, I cannot go into all of the details because it was off the record, but I actually got to spend a lot of time with the former vice chairman of the Federal Reserve a while back, and the debt was a major part of the discussion. And he actually talked about this particular topic, that if you go back to the founding of the country, Alexander Hamilton was very insistent that financially it was actually a good thing for the United States to maintain debt. 
Uh, and Hamilton's argument at the time at the founding of the country was if the United States maintained debt and paid uh, made regular payments to service that debt, it showed other countries that, one, we were responsible, and two, we had a growing economy, and three, we were a place in which to invest. It, it was essentially a calling card that, hey, uh, we're good for your business. A- at this point, however, right. uh, the level of debt that we have should not, definitely should not be even approaching 80% of GDP and more likely should be 50% or less of GDP. And we are way off from that spectrum. I mean, and for perspective, we never, we didn't get to $10 trillion until Obama. Uh, Barack Obama put more debt in the U.S. than all other presidents combined. You talk about George W. Bush and the spending in the Gulf War and stuff. Uh, George W. Bush got us to $10 trillion in debt when he left office. Barack Obama got us to $22 trillion in debt. Uh, and then Trump got us to $29 trillion, and now Biden's already at $31. Uh, it's, it's absurd. It's destabilizing. And I don't know. The number is so big, I don't know that people really understand it. Uh, Kevin, thanks for the phone call. I, I, I really don't know that people understand how bad it is that we have more debt uh, than we have an economy. And, and the way to fix it, of course, is we grow our economy. You grow your economy, you grow, you grow your GDP, and suddenly your debt is less than the GDP. But uh, Democrats always want to pay down the top line in the ratio of je- uh, debt to GDP, and, and that money has to come from somewhere. And if you pull it from taxes, raise taxes, that then slows down the economy. So you got to find a way around it. And, and the easy answer is grow your economy and then slowly pay down your debt over time. We have a massive problem. I, I'm not making this up, by the way, that when George W. Bush left office in 2008, we were at $10 trillion. He added about $5 trillion in debt. Barack Obama added more than $10 trillion. Donald Trump added close to $10 trillion. Uh, It's the last two presidents, for perspective, the last two presidents, Trump and Obama both, you have to give them both credit for this if you're intellectually honest or or disdain, whichever you say. Both of them combined added twice as much debt as all the other presidents in American history combined. Not sustainable. It is not. By the way, I got to pivot. There is some breaking news that affects... A lot of you, um, Charles Stanley has died. Now, he was the pastor at First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, but regardless of where you live in the nation, you probably saw him on TV, In Touch Family. I know my grandmother, when I was little, would watch Charles Stanley every Sunday night. Uh, she would she would watch his service at home. We'd go to church in the morning. She'd come home. She'd watch Lawrence Welk, and then she'd watch Charles Stanley. Uh, before she got to murder, she wrote on a Sunday night. And I, I grew up with hearing Charles Stanley's voice in the background. A uh, really harnessed the television, and I think it was TBS um, used as Ted Turner was growing TBS and the Braves Network. Uh, Charles Stanley broadcast on Sunday nights and grew his ministry out of Atlanta to a global international ministry. You still drive past the church. You see the satellite dishes in the back. It's it's an impressive complex, and he was an impressive pastor. His son, Andy Stanley, of course, now uh, has a mega church in the southeast, 
and Charles has passed away. Uh, he was 90 years old, uh, born September 25th, 1932, passed away today. Uh, Charles Frazier Stanley of In Touch Family uh, Ministries, a global, global ministry. Um, it is kind of kind of odd to think, honestly, uh, that Charles lived to be 90 just thinking about my grandmother as a kid watching him on TV every Sunday night. Uh, he, he always seemed very old on TV, and now this makes me realize how much younger he was than my grandmother who loved listening to him. That's just, I don't know. He's got a legacy. Okay, uh, that breaking news out of the way. We have other stuff we need to talk about when we come back. I'm happy to take your phone calls as well, 877-973-7425. One thing real quick, and I will get into this uh, later, but I want to play you this particular audio uh, from I think it's from CNN last night, the Dominion trial against Fox News has started. We'll spend more time later, but you're not going to be seeing a, a, a court TV parade on this. Well, you've got media all over the place, as you can imagine, Nicole. Media from all over the world here camped outside, thought that this thing was going to go at 9 a.m. We were sort of under the assumption that Rupert Murdoch, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity may actually walk in through the front door of the courthouse. But we discovered something interesting today. If this does actually go, when they testify, uh, I was able to snap a picture from a parking garage behind, you see there, behind the courthouse, they've actually built this tent uh, where we assume uh, Murdoch and other high-profile witnesses will actually drive right into that tent. You won't be able to see anything. They get out of the car, and then they're able to walk inside uh, out of the view of cameras. Yeah, as this trial goes forward, the judge, for all the media speculation, and mostly, let's be honest, it's because the rest of the press hates Fox News, wants to see their comeuppance. The judge has gone out of his way to block uh, the ability to view it, the spectacle of it. He wants nothing. Uh, he does not want to treat it as a circus, which the rest of the media wants to. I have seen several reporters on social media say they're getting in line early today. To uh, They were there yesterday. Uh, there were rumors of settlement talks, and those talks apparently haven't gone anywhere. They're going to opening statements at some point today. You're going to hear a lot of media reporting on it. I'll spend more time with it, but I'm going to do DeSantis uh, and his continued fight with Disney before I do anything else, uh, because I actually think that's a bigger story than the Dominion voter system trial. Now, um, what was that, Jim? Ah, uh, before I go anywhere else, I got to tell you, we have a new advertiser. I mentioned him yesterday, and it's Vision Computers, which I'm kind of excited about because my son needs, a well, he doesn't need, he's been asking for a gaming PC for three years. And I'm finally like, you're old enough to get a gaming PC. And, you know, I can go to one of the big box stores, but they they don't have real custom solutions at the big box stores. And I could go to one of those online sites and I could have a computer built. But then I thought, you know, why don't I actually go to someone where if I have a problem, they're going to be there to help me. And Vision Computers is known for answering the phone within about 15 seconds. If you have a problem, Vision Computers can help you. You buy your computers from Vision anywhere nationwide. You can buy your computers from Vision Computers. They'll spend time with you assessing what you need to build you the right specs. 
And then you get their customer service and they actually answer the phone. They're not going to put you on hold and make you wait. They answer the phone. And if they can't get to you, they actually take your number and they will call you back same day to help you if you need access to email, if you need it set up. In a lot of cases, if you've bought your computer from Vision Computers, they can remotely access your computer. So you don't even have to fight traffic. If you're local in Atlanta where they are, you don't have to fight traffic. They can remotely um, network in and take care of your computer needs that way. But if you're nationwide, they can do it for you as well. And by the way, if you haven't ordered your computer from Vision, for a low annual fee, you can get Vision's technical support. This is a company that in the high charging world of technology and computers, decided it was going to separate itself from the competition by having world-class tech support. And they really do have it. And it's why I did not hesitate to get my son's gaming PC from them because I used to be a PC Windows guy. And over time, I've moved towards Macs. My son, you want a great gaming PC? You got to get a PC. It's got to be Windows-based. And I need somebody I can rely on to be able to deal with it and to know that they can just patch in remotely to take care of it. If you've got a parent and you're thinking you want your parent to have an updated computer because parents want to stay up with the kids and stuff, Vision's who you want to go with, Vision Computer, because they can remotely patch in and help your parents set up their email and all this other stuff. So you're not your parents' IT support. Let Vision Computers do it. Give them a call today, 404-COMPUTE, visioncomputers.com. 404-COMPUTE is the number you want to know, 404-COMPUTE. And if you don't believe me on customer service, call them, 404-COMPUTE. You can see it for yourself. They are amazing at answering the phone, getting back to you, and giving you world-class technical support. 404 Compute, Vision Computers. Don't forget to subscribe to the email. If you text DATA to 33777, you can subscribe, get the daily show notes, and so much more. I have to deal with a delicate story. You probably have heard about the shooting at the birthday party at Mahogany Studios, Mahogany's Masterpiece Dance Studio in Dadeville, Alabama. 32 people were injured, four killed, 1035 at night, uh, but no AR was used. It was handguns, according to the police. Recovered shell casings used in handguns, did not recover any high-powered rifle ammunition at the scene. It was handguns. And it was yet again a situation where it was black-on-black uh, -black violence, non-white criminal violence in the country. The media covered it. But they moved very quickly to a different story for which uh, there have reporters on the scene still in Kansas City. Andrew Lester is an 84-year-old white homeowner who shot and wounded Ralph Yar, a black teen. Tragic story here. The 16-year-old went to the wrong home to pick up his siblings. Andrew Lester will face charges of assault in the first degree and armed criminal action. He is being arrested today. Um, the NAACP is involved. Ben Crump, the, the lawyer, is there. They want action. It's a, it is an awful story. It is an awful, awful story. 
And there's another story out of New York where something similar happened. A young woman pulled into a driveway to turn around, and a 65-year-old man shot her. But I just can't help but note that there was a mass shooting in Alabama at a birthday party that was overwhelmingly non-white, and no AR-15 was used, and the media checked the box on covering that story, and then they all packed up and moved to Kansas City, where they could focus on one white man who's 80-some years old shooting through his door to try to kill a young black man. The man should go to jail. And thank God the young man didn't die. He's going to live with the trauma for the rest of his life, though. But the only reason I can think that the media has given so much disproportionate coverage to this one incident in St. Louis is because it was a white ma- old white man shooting a young black boy, and they've ignored the mass shooting in Alabama other than the cursory mention because there's no AR and, and it's non-white violence, and they haven't even talked about the one in New York for the most part. I, I think race shapes the coverage, it seems like.